0: Hope you have your Bible open in front of you to Mark chapter 16. I think I said in the last series on the book of Revelation that in a format like this, there will always be one chapter in a book that is a real challenge to deal with. And when you're working your way through the gospel of Mark, it's chapter 16. The reason is that it appears that the last couple of verses have been lost. The oldest manuscripts we have and at verse 8, And that doesn't seem like it would have been the end of the story. It seems like there would have been a few more verses. And most historians think that there were. Now, you have to remember that these Gospels and letters were originally written on scrolls. And they would have been pasted or glued to some sort of a wooden roll at the end. And some scholars have hypothesized, and I think it's quite possible, that when this scroll was old and about to be replaced, It was unrolled, and the last verse got ripped away and ruined. And so subsequent copies just wrote out what they had. Now, that is a very plausible theory, and some folks think that this is probably one of the reasons why Matthew decided to write an expanded version of Mark's gospel. He added the ending and a bunch of other stuff in between, and that may be it. We don't know it does look like it's missing a verse or two. Now, the two paragraphs that are added in some or most Bibles after verse 8 are usually identified in the margin or in a heading as later additions. And there's nothing wrong with you reading them. Obviously, later Christian communities added a little summary statement at the end so that it read well and finished nicely in the ear of the reader. And so these endings are actually treasure troves of historical insight. But most Bible scholars would remind us not to build any doctrines on the things that we read there. In all probability, those were not the words with which Mark ended his gospel. But it is probably helpful to point out that nothing theological hangs on the rediscovery of these missing verses, if indeed there are any missing verses. For one thing, the doctrine of the resurrection had already been fully fleshed out in the letters of Paul and Peter. Remember, those letters were written first. The Gospels were only written as the disciples began to die. So they come last in terms of date and timing. So we already know that Paul and Peter taught the details of the resurrection. The most detailed account of the resurrection in the Bible is probably 1 Corinthians 15 in terms of its of the events and their significance. You should go and read that. But we don't need Mark's missing couple of verses for that. In addition, we have Matthew, Luke, and John who all provide much longer and more detailed accounts. So we have everything that we need. Even in Mark's gospel as we have it, we have everything that we need. Mark has Jesus rising from the dead. He has the angel saying, he has risen. He is not here. Those words are in Mark's gospel, okay? So we have everything that we need. We just don't have some of the stories that we love, but we have them elsewhere. With all of that being said, hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse one and ending at verse eight. When the Sabbath was passed, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, as I said, we'll never know whether Mark included some of our favorite post-resurrection stories. We don't know whether he mentioned the appearance of Jesus to Mary in the garden. Uh, In in the other Gospels, we learn that the the ladies left and they were afraid and they weren't sure what to do or say, and they, they ran into Jesus. And he encouraged them. Now, Mark doesn't tell us about that. We don't know whether he included the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples in the inner room and telling Doubting Thomas to put his finger in Jesus' hand and side. We don't know. We don't know whether Mark mentioned that. We don't know whether he included the story of how Jesus so kindly and tenderly restored Peter, asking him three times, do you love me? We don't know. I I can't imagine that he didn't because this gospel comes from Peter. But as I said, thankfully all of those stories can be found elsewhere. And what Mark says is perfectly adequate for our theological needs. He says he has risen. He is not here. Thanks be to God. Jesus is risen from the dead. Your salvation depends upon that fact. And that fact is adequately testified to in this gospel. We sometimes talk about how people are saved by five things that Jesus does for us. We're saved, first of all, by his birth and incarnation. If the second person of the Trinity had not taken on human flesh, then his life and death could never have counted as payment for human sin. But he did. And we are saved, thanks be to God, by the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're also saved by the life of Jesus Christ. That's the second thing. We're saved by his obedience He kept the whole law for his people. He obeyed God perfectly. And that's a very good thing because God designed the world to receive the blessings of heaven through obedience. Now, we could never do that. So Jesus did it for us. Thanks be to God. And of course, we are saved by his death. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to go home. We could never have gone home into the presence of our Holy Father Covered in all our sin and shame. So Jesus bore it on the cross. And having paid the agreed upon price, the curtain was torn and the door was open that we might go home. Thanks be to God. We're saved by the death of Christ. And we're saved by the resurrection of Christ. Writing many years before the publication of Mark's Gospel, the Apostle Paul says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 4, 24 to 25. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's stamp of approval upon the life and death of Jesus on our behalf. It is God accepting the exchange of his life for ours, his death for hours. It's rather like when you pay for something with your debit card, right? You punch in the numbers, the code is entered, and then you wait nervously sometimes. And then you see those most glorious of words, payment accepted. Please remove your card. That is what the resurrection means. It means that the payment has been accepted. And so God removes the card. The empty tomb is proof that our debt has been paid and our future has been purchased. Thanks be to God. And of course, we're also saved by the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Thankfully, that is narrated for us in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1, 9 to 11, it says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. According to the Bible, Jesus is right now in heaven for us, and that is part of how we are saved. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is in heaven right now speaking to the Father on behalf of all those who have trusted in him. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ? You should do that today. You should stop trying to earn your way into heaven. You can't do it. You are too fallen and too heavy laden with sins. You need to stop. You need to confess your sins and cast them upon Christ on the cross. You need to ask God to credit your sins to Christ's account. When you do that, you are asking God to put your sins in the cup that Christ drank upon the cross. And God will do it. This is his plan. After all, he wants to do it. But to do it, you have to believe that Jesus is who he said that he was. You have to believe that he is the son of God and the savior that you need. Do you believe that? Then ask God to do that for you right now. Ask him to forgive your sins for Christ's sake. Ask him to wash away all your mistakes, all your misdeeds, all your missteps in the blood of Jesus on the cross. Ask him to cleanse your heart and to make you new ask him to pour out his spirit and to begin changing you by one degree of glory to the next into the same image as his son jesus christ ask him now to do those things in jesus name let me pray for you our heavenly father i thank you for the chance to read the word of god together i thank you that when the word of God washes over us and the spirit of God works within us, eyes are opened, ears are dug, and hearts are softened to receive the implanted and saving word. I pray that would happen today. I pray that as people pray like the father in Mark 9, I believe, help my unbelief. I pray that you would answer that prayer. And I pray that you would strengthen those hands to take hold of Jesus Christ and to be saved. For your glory and their everlasting good, I ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, and thank you for listening to Into the Word. If the Gospel of Mark was your first experience with us here at Into the Word, and if you are eager to learn some more, you can check out previous series at our website, www.intotheword.ca. You can also find archived material at the Gospel Coalition Canada website. And you can stay in touch with us by finding us on Facebook, where we post daily encouragements from all four readings in the RMM Bible reading plan. Just type in the search bar in Facebook, Into the Word. Until then, may God bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace for